Friends, please join me in prayer wherever you are. Holy Father, our hearts are open unto you. The entrance of your word giveth light, and it also giveth understanding. Holy Spirit, have your way, and speak to us in the depths of the recesses of our hearts. Speak also to our context and to our circumstances. And bring understanding to the hearts of your people. Bring comfort. Bring healing. But also, Lord, send us forth in the power of your spirit to manifest your glory. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Friends, I'm excited to welcome you again to the place of the Word of God as again we commemorate the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, many, many years ago. I've been teaching a series on who am I, and today I'll be treating the third part of this teaching. As a recap to the previous teaching last Sunday, I raised three issues under the theme in the second part of the teaching. First, I treated the 12 facts about your identity and self. Secondly, the question of who I am as a part to self-unveiling, self-acceptance, and self-flourishing. And thirdly, I looked at the question Jesus asked in Matthew 16, 13 to 20 as bordering on self and identity. Today, I'll be teaching on the third part of the teaching, Who Am I? And we'll be considering the following three dimensions. Number one, I will look at the false self-knowing and the power of sense knowledge. False self-knowing and the power of sense knowledge. Secondly, I will treat true self-knowing and the power of revelation knowledge true self-knowing, and the power of revelation knowledge. And thirdly, I will teach on the place of Pentecost and the power of the breath of God in the context of I can't breathe. The place of Pentecost and the power of the breath of God in the context of I can't breathe. Friends, looking at the first Part of call in our teaching today, which is false, false self-knowing, the power of sense knowledge. I consider this a tentative knowing, which all of us here on the line have been conditioned. Social psychologists and philosophers point to the role of social mechanisms in making you who you think you are now. They argue that your self-concepts and behavior have largely dependent on the interactions you have with other people, including the ones who influence you and the ones from whom you want to differentiate yourself. The scientists view the self as a compendium of molecules and genes. For religious thinkers, in addition to the social mechanisms, molecules and genes, there is the metaphysical layer to the forces that forge who you are and to whom you must look to understand your true self. 
in this view, the self, in addition to other things, as earlier mentioned, is an immortal soul that transcends the physical being. It is in this light that Hazel Marcus has argued that you can't be a self by yourself. In African philosophy, friends, the concept of Ubuntu is fundamental in the knowledge of self and identity. Ubuntu is the belief in a universal bond of sharing that connects all. Ubuntu can best be described as an African philosophy that places emphasis on being self through others. It is a form of humanism which can be expressed in the phrase, I am because of who we all are, and I am because you are. The social values of Ubuntu include survival, solidarity spirit, compassion, respect, and dignity. In my summation, I am presenting to you today, people of God, that whether it is from the argument of social psychologists, philosophers, religious thinkers, or scientists, all of these ways of knowing are very limited, jaundiced, and most often they are completely at odds with what your true self is. However, these forces continue to change, to shape, and to destroy in many times the sense of self in many persons. Let us look, for instance, at the context of social mechanisms that have been at work in shaping your life. These social mechanisms could be understood, for instance, in the sense of the socializing context, beginning from the nuclear family comprising you, your father, your mother, your children, your kids, sorry, your siblings, and your relatives. First of all, in the nuclear family context and in the larger or extended family. But these forces also move in socializing you even onto the community. Where there is a broader context of socialization. But also shaping you has been the power of crisis and opportunity. There are certain crises you've been through that have changed your life, made you to begin to look at yourself in a different way, made you to relate with others in a different way. But there were also opportunities that came to you, and you began to feel, feel differently about yourself. There is the power of self-definition and redefinition through education. The general structure you've gone through from your primary or from your, from your preschool all the way to whether you're a college degree holder or you're having a higher qualification than that or you're not educated. Formal and informal education have in certain ways shaped what you think you are. But also in the power that has shaped you is the component of religiosity that pretends to be revelational. Your ideas and metaphors, words, convey to you a sense of revelation, but it is truly inconsistent with true biblical revelation. All of the information comprise what I have called the power of sense knowledge. And all of them are based on five senses. The sense of hearing, the sense of sight, the sense of taste, 
the sense of touch. All of this, the sense of taste, are five senses that have shaped your life in one way or the other, through whichever mechanisms that that has come to be. And in many instances, friend, you are a victim of these mechanisms, whether they be scientific or whatever you may call them, that have shaped your life. I wonder where you're seated to be in doubt of who you truly are. I will be pointing out in the prayers of the teacher. And now we move on to the second point I want to share with you, which is true self-know. If the past issues I've raised are all premise and falsehood, then there must be a true self-knowing. And the true self-knowing I want to bring to you here is called the power of revelation knowledge. Please, I want you to take this down. You will never know who you are supposed to be until you accept Jesus as your Savior and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to repeat myself. You will never, ever know who you really are or you're supposed to be until you accept Jesus as your Savior and receive the gift of the Spirit of God. This has to be followed up by a deep introspection of your spirit man in dependence on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. The point I'm making is this. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you will then need to pay close attention to self-introspection of your spirit mind. And that you must do in dependence on the word of God revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament of the Christian Bible. And then you need to also depend on the Holy Spirit. It is at this point you get to that you begin to grasp the sense of who you truly are and who you truly will be transforming to become in the process of time. Why is this so true? This is based on two principles that I want you also to take down. Two principles to the one why you must receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you must be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you must pay time on close self-introspection, independence on the Holy Spirit, and independence of the Word of God. Two principles. Number one principle. All things have the same components and essence as their source. All things have the same components and essence as their source. If God created you in his image and likeness, as we all know from the scriptural teaching, then there is a component that you have that is in God and your essence is also derived from God, not just from your own self. Number two principle, you will never know yourself by relating to the creation. You know yourself by relating to the creator. I will repeat that. You will never know yourself by relating to the creation you know yourself by relating to the creator. Let me give you a quick example. You cannot understand 
the full functionality of a product, except and unless you have the manual of the product. And the manual of the product in your possession, which often accompanies the product to your delivery, is intended to give you an idea of the mind of the maker of that product and how that product can be optimally used. That is the same case with you. You cannot know yourself in relationship to other creation. You cannot know yourself just in relationship to yourself alone. You must know yourself in relationship to the creator who has created you. The one that has manufactured you is the one that really knows who you are and your essence truly is. Why do you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And why is that really so for you to really know who you are? Two reasons. Number one reason is redemption. And number two reason is righteousness. These are the main cures to the sickness of sin that every human being has been subjected to. When the fall occurred, man lost the glory of God. The only way human beings can find their way back to God is through the bridge of the Savior that was promised at the same instant where the fall is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. That restoration comes on the basis of redemption. Jesus Christ died on the cross, returns you back to God because there on the cross he bought redemption for you. Number two I raised was righteousness. Righteousness means right standing. It is not what you achieve. It is a gift that is freely given to you. You become in right standing with God after you've been redeemed. At that instance, you are restored to a perfect relationship with God. And you then can relate with God as was intended from the beginning. Why do you need the Holy Spirit to know who you really are? Here is the key, friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love it. Now let's pause there for a while. What is the scripture speaking? What no eye has seen, the sense of sight. What no ear has heard, the sense of hearing. What no human mind has conceived. These are all things that are appealing. The mind is the soul where human faculty is, where thinking is. So this is all pointing to sense knowledge. No eye is able to see. No of the human sensibilities is able to perceive in itself what God has made you to be. The things God has prepared for those who love Him, including who you are, your essence, and all what He has created you to deliver into the world, which is all tied to your identity and yourself. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. How does God reveal them to us? It is by His Spirit. It is by His Spirit. How does that work out? The Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit 
within them. Who knows? That's why I spoke about your redemption, your salvation in Christ. It's called regeneration. It's that moment that your dead human spirit is given new life by the infusion of the life of God into your human spirit that was dead. You are regenerated and made to come alive. Then your spirit begins to relate with the spirit of God to be able to know your own self internally and what God's plan in your true self is all about. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So that is why the Spirit of God has to communicate with your human spirit that has experienced a regeneration, being born again. And that is the place of the Holy Spirit and the place of your redemption and your righteousness in Christ Jesus. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. I'm reading verse 12. So that we may understand what God has freely given us, so that we may do it, understand what God has freely given us. We receive the spirit of God so that we may know, we may understand what God has freely given us, which includes your true self. It includes your essence. It includes your potential. Friends, we come now to the last stage of this teaching, the place of Pentecost and the power of the breath of God in the context of I can breathe. There is a panorama of drama in the passages of scripture that we find, but also in the entirety of biblical revelation from Genesis coming of the Holy Spirit, the creation of the human race, and also what happened on the day of Pentecost. God breathed into man in Genesis, in creation, and man became a living soul. That was before the problem of sin occurred. So find the place of the breath of God in God's creative economy, but also in God's redemptive economy. The Spirit of God, the breath of God is so important. It's interesting that in the Hebrew word, which is wind, breath, or spirit, it is called ruach. Ruach also means wind. It means breath. It means spirit. <laughs> On the day of Pentecost, we find that the Bible accounts in, in Acts of Apostles chapter 2. Suddenly, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The wind coming in forcefully. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. At Pentecost, there was a sound as a mighty rushing wind. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them their ability. So, friends, Pentecost witnessed the inauguration of the body of Christ and provided a distinct identity for the church through the breath of God, which is the life of God, the power of God, and the language of God that was given, the tongues that were manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now let me usher you into the enclave of language. Why is language is important? Tongues or glossolalia? Why is it important? 
Language is such a power concept because it has the ability to completely shape one's personal identity. One of the major elements of language that initiates the development of self-identity would be the dialect. When the disciples began to speak in other tongues, everyone around's attention was called to the scene of what was occurring. Everybody was amazed. We hear them in our own language. Language not learned by these disciples, but enabled by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moved in their lives to bring to bear which nothing which a human being would achieve in its own. That was a cultural establishment. That was a move of God, which pointed out to the fact of his influence by the working of his Spirit. In the context of Adam and Eve, the Bible says when God created the man, he breathed into man, and man became a living soul. On the day of Pentecost, in the inauguration of the church, the Bible says the Spirit of God breathed upon the people, and they began to speak in a profound way. When a child is born, the child begins to express the ability of speech, but above all, the ability of life by a cry. The church was crying, Abba, Father, by the move of the Spirit of the living God. The cry of the church on Pentecost has been the cry of the Spirit. The cry enabled by the Spirit of God to manifest a new life that has been better. Any church that is cut off from the move of the Spirit in pretensions, in religiosity, and a Christian that is cut off from the move of the Spirit, for whatever reasons, is a Christian that is dead and cannot express the life of God. Pentecost has come to us in the context of I can bring. Again, the panorama of drama is pointing out. In the midst of a global pandemic, COVID-19, which attacks the lungs, I can't breathe by COVID-19, comes an incident in the streets of Minnesota, in the streets of Minneapolis, where a man calls out, I can't breathe. How come that Pentecost found no other season? But came to us in a season where I can breathe, arising from the COVID-19 pandemic, the lungs are totally devastated and they cannot breathe. The greatest threat of the COVID-19 has been in the capacitation of those that are passing through that severe attack of the virus. That life and death is determined by the ability of those persons to breathe or not to breathe. And that was why ventilators became a product hospitals could not do it without. They had to order it as expensive as it was. People were running all over the world finding ventilators. All the Holy Spirit is a mysterious being. God is awesome in this season, friend. But right in Minnesota, right in the streets of Minneapolis, also the cry came forth. I can breathe. Breath. In all instances, was missing. This is prophetic, friends, I argue. 
the two greatest forces of death that are taking away our breath are playing out simultaneously in a season we are celebrating the source of life, the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost. I can breathe is therefore a metaphor of total systemic racial injustice and the cry of dereliction. I can breathe is the cries of prophets exposing the fatal attacks of our jugular, our windpipes and our lungs but the symbolism of institutions, police, and crisis of the pandemic, COVID-19, combined forces, we are up against. Friends, I want you to stay with me. I want you to stay with me as you listen to this message. Make no mistake, the cry that we heard from our brothers in New York City, and in Minneapolis, where cries of human beings. I look at these human beings as prophets, prophets of God speaking to their generation, speaking to their ancestry, speaking to their crisis. But those are persons that our humanity converge on. They reveal the depths of institutional wickedness. The police is therefore a symbol of authority structures, political institutions, institutions that have been established, institutions that have been established with different purposes, we are told, but they are fulfilling a different purpose entirely. For the pandemic as well, how could it be that the majority of those that die are people of color? But it makes no troubling or difficult conjecture about it. Because these are people that are the front lines as well. These are people that you find them in the stores, in the warehouses, in the trucks, driving the trucks. They are the ones that are driving the buses around town. They are the ones who are commuting from place to place. And the ones who are living in terrible conditions of living, who cannot afford adequate medical provisions. These are people who in many ways, the systems are working against them and they are not able to breathe as they ought to be. It is a right to every human being to breathe. When human beings are begging to breathe, free oxygen that has been provided, they are begging to be alive. They are revealing deeper issues which we in Pentecost are called prophetically to fulfill a purpose. On July 17, 2014, in the United States of America, in the city of New York, this is in a country whose greatest export is democracy, whose cornerstone is the rule of law, had an officer's arms and this officer is supposed to be a law enforcement agent who is paid to protect the lives and property of the citizens. His arms were around a 27 years old young African man. His name is Eric Gardner. He wrestled Eric to the ground with multiple officers restraining him. Gardner repeated the words, I can break 11 times while lying face down on the sidewalk 
and friends he died. Again, on May 25th, 2020, I can't breathe with the last words of George Floyd as a, a Minneapolis police officer pinned him to the ground next to the back tire of his patrol car and put his knee, and I will say his leg, on the man's neck for about eight minutes until he died. Brother George pleaded, please, 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 I can't breathe. My stomach hurts. My neck hurts. Please, please, I can't breathe. George called on his dead mother. He called on his dead mother. This is mother I imagined had won him while he, she was alive. My son, George, as you go through the streets, be careful of the police. The words of George crying on his mother was a cry, a cry of dereliction. It was a cry in which he was applying to the divinity he knew in his life. The love of a mother, a mother that would trade every means to ensure the son's life is preserved. A mother that bore him in his womb, in her womb for nine months and knew the pains of the suffering of bringing forth that came forth. This was a cry, a resorting to that which was the last life support. After all, it was from that womb it came from. But the cry of George was the cry to God. God that had testified himself through his mother. He cried to his mother. And the powers that be heard that cry. But their hands were in the pocket. The leg was on the juggler. I believe the mother spoke to the man. The mother said, no, please take your feet from my son's life. No, please let my son breathe because this breath is his right. Oh, but because the cry of the mothers are hardly heard by a sister that is hell bent on destroying life by all means, that cry was not here. The cry of Mother Africa is the cry that is coming forth from the regions of Africa as her children are screaming for life, as their sons are jogging through the street and they are shut down for no just reason, as their daughters live in their homes and their gun walks all the way and shoots them to kill them. The cry of Africa continues to cry as China makes invasions into Africa as all kinds of the systems of the world are focused on Africa with death, with hunger. Africa cannot breathe. The resources of Africa have been squeezed. African jugglers, the power that they are holding those jugglers from overseas and even back home in Africa. Our politicians seem to have made a covenant with the powers that are to snuff of life from us, and they want life never to be in us. The man who knelt upon his leg on the truth of George was a man that belongs to the same clan, following the clannish agenda of the same man who held the, the juggler of Eric in New York City on his neck. Friends, I would say that the cycle has been established on the premise of the hands that held the, the jaws, the neck to death. Hands that are swift to do what the hands are always conversant of doing. The feet of them have knelt 
upon the truth of, of God are all the same feet of the same hands that also came forth to show forth from the hands of the feet and the entirety of the being of the clannish identifications are all symbols, metaphors of death, the full cycle, the, the, the pervasiveness of the wickedness that lies. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Are your wives able to breathe in their homes? Are your daughters able to breathe? Are your husbands breathing? The job in which you're doing, can you breathe in that job? Are you able to breathe or are you tied down in slavery? Your stomach is hurting. Your neck is hurting. Every part of your life is hurting. Even your soul is hurting. The time of innocence is over. Say farewell to innocence. Say farewell to ignorance. Say farewell to self-hate. Say farewell to every demonstration of neutrality. No matter how you cry, the systems will hardly hear you. I can't breathe. The streets are burning. The shops are being looted. I can't breathe. Police canisters are being shot at the people. They can't breathe. People are being chained. They can't breathe. I can't breathe. Economic systems will let you breathe. The medical systems won't let you breathe. In China, you can breathe. In Europe, you can breathe. In America, you can breathe. In Africa, you can breathe. I can breathe. But yes, I can breathe. I must choose to breathe because I'm also a child of God. I must choose to breathe because I'm also a human being. I must breathe because there's a destiny that I've been called to fulfill. I have the breath of God, the spirit of God in me. I can breathe because I belong to a community. The church must rise. The call to breathe on the day of Pentecost by the breath of God. Is that the church as in the days of Martin Luther King Jr., doctor? He leveraged on his capacity as a clergy to rise to the occasion of his time. He spoke with his life. It was not easy. Friends, we can breathe. But to breathe is going to be hard work. To breathe is to walk away from self-deception. To breathe is to open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds. To breathe is to look at each other and understand that the fall of Mandela will be the fall also of Jomo Kenyatta. The fall of everyone as Eric will be the fall of George. The fall of everyone will be the fall of all. 
If all we depend on is religiosity that is void of the truth of that faith, that faith that must be the power of the Spirit of God, to bridge will require that we will follow education with suspicion, that our children will not forget themselves and think that because they have the accent, it is well with them, that because they are young, all is well with them. Parents, tell your children that they can breathe. Make them breathe as you teach them your language. Make them breathe as you teach them authentic Christianity, not religiosity. Make them breathe as you speak sense to them. Make them breathe as you love them. Not being in this nation and you forget who you are and where you're coming from and where you're going. The streets are not safe. The places of work are not safe. Your home should be safe. The church of Jesus should be safe. If your food is on anybody's neck in the church, take it off. If your hands are holding anyone's truth, take them off. Let us begin to pray in our families, in the communities we belong to. Let us begin to pray as we move to every region of life, understanding that we are born of God. We have the spirit of God. We can know who we are and we can help others know to spread the good news to them of who they can be. Bow your heads to pray with me. Will you ask the Holy Spirit to take his place in your life? Would you ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart, to be your Lord and your Savior. Would you resolve today that you will no longer be nonchalant? You will not look on the other side. You will not be a source of death and destruction to your fellow brother, to your fellow sister, to every human being that comes your way. Would you undertake today that as you know more and more of who you truly are, you will fulfill the purpose for which you have been created? Would you carefully reflect on who you truly are, breaking away from the lies you have been told, that you are useless, you are hopeless, you are black and you can breathe. Yes, you are more than just being black. You are God's solution to a special problem. You have a right to be alive. You have a right not only to be seen, but also to be heard. just need to know who you are and be who you are and be happy with who you are. Place your right hand on your heart, on your chest, the place where your heart is. 
the left side of your chest. I want to pray for you. My Father, I bring to your presence every man, every woman in this space, everyone that cannot breathe, that breath, the breath of God, may breathe upon them this morning. Receive the breath of God, everyone that is in street life of death. Begin to mend everyone that is afflicted with disease. Every trouble of your life that is taking life away from you, I speak your healing and your deliverance this afternoon. Be healed and be freed in the name of Jesus. Every despondency in your life, I pray the restoration of hope. Be restored everywhere you are in the name of Jesus. The life abound in the church of Jesus. By the move of the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, breathe upon us again. Cause us to live for you and for others all the days of our life. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.